Um, hey, we're in week two of a series, Struggling to Follow Jesus, in which we're really looking at barriers to barriers that, that stop people from fully committing to Christ as a Lord and Savior um, with all their heart, mind, and soul and strength. Um, they're, they're just things that, that hold us back, things, things from our past, things that things that have hurt us. I mean, we're going to look at a lot of, a lot of different things. And, and I, I have a, a rough idea and a, an outline of where I want to go with this series. Um, but I'd like to hear from you all. Um, on the screen, you're going to see uh, about seven or eight things I'm thinking about adding into this series. Um, and what I'd like you to do in the comment section, if you wouldn't mind, without a whole lot of detail, um, fill in the blank. My greatest struggle in following Jesus is. And it might be that you're ashamed of your past. Maybe you have trouble forgiving, trusting. I mean, and look right down that list. Um, and if there's not something on the list that it's what your barrier is, um, uh, go ahead and fill in the blank with, with that. And again, don't, not, not too much detail. Um, this is just to kind of help me gauge, uh, what are the real barriers for, for my people here at Richland Church of the Nazarene. Um, so last week, I addressed several possible responses when confronted with the message of the cross, because the message of the cross, the events around that Easter weekend were pretty amazing. In fact, a lot of the world would say impossible. And, they, and, and in fact, we looked at some of these responses all the way from hogwash to, you know, I, I, I believe, but I'm struggling to follow. So, wherever you are in this, you put that in the comment section. I'll give you a few minutes there. Check that out. Again, we looked at two possible last week. Uh, one, we love Jesus, but we love the world too much. And if you're honest with yourselves, more than likely that was the issue that got you into trouble. Uh, you love the world, but then you love the world too much. Um, and, and then it, it, it wasn't so beautiful and it wasn't so wonderful and it wasn't really a gift anymore, but it became your prison, um, loving the world too much. And, and for others of us, it was really um, a, a church term, uh, sanctified. And I know a lot of you are thinking, oh, but I have no idea what that means. Um, partially sanctified, meaning simply that you've only partially committed to Christ. Um, therefore, that the Holy Spirit can only do so much with you, Right. Um, unless you open up your entire life to the Holy Spirit, you are going to remain partially sanctified, partially made holy. And I know it sounds really, really horrible, and it, and it is. It's a horrible phrase, partially sanctified. Um, for a lot of you, this is where you've been unable to forgive uh, whatever it was that that person did to you. Um, for some, many of you, it would be uh, uh, difficulty in trusting somebody again, or um, living boldly enough to share the good news, you know, drumming up enough care. Um, that's what partially sanctified really leads to, is just a partial joy, um, a partial enjoyment of all that God wants for us. When you let Jesus into every room of your existence, watch things start to happen your life will turn around. Your life will turn around radically. So today, a third possible barrier, and I want to talk about a, what a young lady shared uh, with a pastor. Um, she said this, uh, they were on a flight, um, says, I know my life doesn't look like a Christian's life should look, but I do believe in God. 
And this lady, this, her name was Michelle. She's a lot like about 94% of folks who uh, claim in a recent Gallup poll to believe in God. Um, I'm reminded of a, a youth pastor in Sacramento, a guy named Jonathan McKee, amazing, amazing youth pastor. Um, and he told this story of, of visiting a, a, a young teenager and got to his house and, and, and was chatting with him, you know, kind of con- trying to connect with him. And, and he, he knew that the young man had attended church as a child. So he asked the, the teenager, uh, when you were a child, did you go to a Catholic church? Did you go to a Protestant church? Um, and, and the young teen, he, he had no idea. So he, he screamed up to his mom, hey, mom, are we, are we Catholics or were, were we Catholics or were we Protestants? And her, his mom yelled from bed down from upstairs, um, neither, we're, we're Presbyterians. Right? So, so there's a little bit of confusion, just a little bit of confusion. A lot of people say they believe in God, but they really don't know him. Um, they, they know him maybe by reputation, maybe by in memories. We're going to look at some of those things uh, this morning. I had a good friend, a school teacher I taught with, a brilliant, brilliant lady. Um, had a long talk with her one afternoon. She knew I was a youth pastor. Um, and, and, and in the course of the conversation, it was, well, what, what were our different views of God? And as I listened to this brilliant lady, and she had an IQ over 150, she was in fact a genius. She went on to explain, and in, in her own mind, she had created, I, I, the only words I can come up with is, is her own private deity that met her private needs, wishes, and wants. And this is, this is what she believed about God. It was literally um, a, a patchwork of whatever she wanted God to be to her. So she had created this image of God that was really her own personal, private interpretation deity. It, it, was, it was kind of crazy. It was very interesting. I, 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 I was trying to be very, very nice with her. I, I think I was. <laughs> um, but the fact of the matter is, lots of people believe in God, but they don't really know him. And maybe you're thinking, you know, I know lots of people who don't believe in God, but I do, right? Isn't that enough? Isn't that what he wants from me? Go forward a few on the slides there. We're a little bit behind there. I got a little messed up in my notes here. But the fact of the matter is, believing isn't all that God wants from us. Right, James tells us in chapter 2, verse 17, this is James, it's at the very end of your New Testament, short little letter uh, written by the brother of Jesus, a guy by the name of James. And he tells us in chapter 2, verse 17, that even the demons believe in God, and yet they tremble because they know they're relationally separated from God, the, the creator of the universe. So obviously, believing, simply believing, isn't the only thing that God wants from us. Many of you, you know my wife. You've gotten to know her better in the, in the past uh, year and a half. And, and a lot of you think you know her fairly well, um, but you don't. <laughs> Nothing personal. Um, I was in the hospital recently on one of my many visits to hospitals, um, not to visit other people, but to have an extended stay. Um, I, had, I thought I could snowboard. I thought I could do a flip, and I couldn't, and I, and I hadn't. Neck surgery, so I got a metal plate attached, holding a couple vertebrae together. And I was in the hospital bed, and it had been a few days. Diane hadn't been able to come out because they had to do the operation in another city. And if you've ever been in the hospital, do you understand this? It's loud. It's noisy. It's, it, it's impossible to sleep. I don't know how they, why they haven't figured this out yet. People that are in the hospital, they need rest. And so there were hundreds of voices all walking past my, 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 my doorway. And, and I, I felt like just wanting to scream, you, shut up. Quit. I need sleep. And in all this noise, I heard this, this, this voice, right? And I, I could tell way down the hallway, and I knew it was my wife's voice. And it was, 
It lifted me like you couldn't believe. Just, just the sound of her voice. And that's because I, I know her, right? She could be in a room with a thousand people and she could say one sentence and, and I, could, I could find her with my eyes closed. Now, maybe my, my daughters could do that too and her mom and dad. Very, very few people could do that. You, you have to know Diane. You can't know about Diane, Right? You have to know Diane to know that wonderful voice and laugh of hers. And, and again, she was coming down the hall, and I heard it out of all those voices. And I, I broke down right there on the spot. It was, it was just an amazing, amazing thing. So the fact of the matter is there's a huge difference between knowing about somebody and actually knowing them. Reminds me of one of my favorite songs. I asked Dan last night. I, he'd, he had been practicing with his team, and, and I said, dude, I, I, need you to, I need you to sing a song, Good, Good Father. I mean, I, I really, really need you, and, and if it's a huge deal, just tell me, but of course, Dan's an amazing guy. He said, oh, yeah, no problem, Pastor, we'll do that. And there's a phrase, I want to read it to you. You'll see it on the screen next to you. It says, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender, tender whispers of love in the dead of night. And you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. And then I think in verse 3 or something, I've seen many searching for answers far and wide. But I know we're, they're all searching for answers only, only you can provide. See, most people struggling to follow Jesus, if they were really, really honest, they would admit to believing in God but not really knowing him. Um, maybe even a, a thousand stories of what he's like, but they never took the time to actually get to know him. They just secondhand news, right? Rumors. Um, here's the problem, and this is true for all of us. Most folks don't know what they don't know. I know that sounds funny. I'll say it again. Most folks don't know what they don't know, um, but they'd readily admit it too, right? They'd readily admit it, and we understand this about technology, right? I got this iPhone here. There's a lot of things that I simply don't know about this. But the fact of the matter is, I don't know what I don't know, right? Until somebody tells me, hey, this app does this, and hey, you know, you could do this. Hey, you can make the, the font really, really big so, you, you know, blind Pastor Jerry can see it. But I know there's so many things in this crazy phone that I don't know. And until I try it, I will never know. And Christ Jesus is the same way. If you're just hearing secondhand news, you're really never going to explore everything that he has and wants for you. So we believe this about technology. We're all okay with this about technology, but somehow we don't... This, this fact of life that we don't know what we don't know suddenly is not true when it comes to the Bible because everyone believes, well, I know everything there is to know about the Bible. I know everything there is to know about God. And that's, that's, that's simply not true. Part of the problem, again, is people say they know God when, in fact, many people only know about him, for example, by reputation. They believe they know him, but they really don't know him. Kind of like knowing a certain teacher or a professor or a guy or a girl back in high school, back in college, right? You hear a thousand stories about what they're like, and then you meet them, and you find out that the people were wrong, right? The rumors were wrong. They're really wonderful people. I would go through this every year as a school teacher, uh, either 11 or 12 years, I can't remember now, middle school teaching, a couple years of high school. And at the beginning of every school year, I, all the kids would file in, and I would have heard from the other teachers, because I was an eighth grade teacher at a middle school, I would have heard from the sixth and seventh grade, hey, watch out for this person, watch out for her, you know, you know and, and they would inform me of what these people were like, 
thousand stories. And then by the end of the school year, more often than not, they were wrong. It's just the fact that this student didn't connect with that teacher. And again, it happened the other way around. Sometimes I would have a student and I would transfer him and I'd say, oh, man, well, what a piece of work. Rah, 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 rah. And come to find out that the, the, the classroom that they got transferred in, they were wonderful. It's just that I couldn't connect with that person. So again, you don't know what you don't know until you go and find out. Um, knowing somebody by reputation. Another way, another way to think uh, that people think they know God is by memories, right? And if you're struggling to follow Jesus, but you're one of those lucky few uh, who maybe grew up in a healthy church, right? You, you remember, you remember how good it felt to experience God's love and his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy, his forgiveness, but like, uh, I guess, old high school and college buddies, um, to say that we still know him today based on your childhood knowledge and your childhood understanding of God, um, and then to say that you still know him today when you haven't talked with him and all that, 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 that really doesn't play out. I had a good friend, again, college, very close. We were best buddies. Um, and I, I, I thought I knew him. And then about, oh, 12, oh, golly, 20. 20-some-odd years later, um, and I'd talked to him a couple times, and again, in my mind, he's like one of my best friends. And then several years went by, and, and I, I reconnected with him, and I, f I found out that he had had a son, and his son had made it to the age of four and then died. <sighs> I didn't know him. I, I had a memory of him. I, I, I knew him from, from college days, but that afternoon, I realized I didn't know Chris anymore. I had no idea what was going on in his life. I had no idea the pains and the suffering that he was going through. I was completely oblivious. That's the difference between knowing about somebody and truly knowing somebody. And finally, the one that hurts, the one that digs the deepest, is a lot of people, they know God by their disobedience. Right? This is where many people develop this false impression that God was some kind of ultimate cosmic cop or a cosmic killjoy, right? The church people pouncing on you every time you expressed doubt or you had questions or you just wanted to have a little bit of innocent fun, and you, you quickly develop this, this idea that if you made a wrong move, that God was going to pounce on you, right? And that the church was going to condemn you and you were going to be a heretic and, and everything would bust crazy loose. The Apostle John, we want to... An incredible passage. Uh, he wrote quite a bit of the New Testament. You know him as the Gospel of John, uh, the Apostle John, but he also wrote the book of Revelation. He also wrote uh, three letters at the end, again, at the very end of your New Testament, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Uh, I want to look at his first letter, what we call 1 John, because he's got an amazing insight into what the difference is between knowing about God and, and truly knowing God. And he gives us a, a very accurate metric as to how we can gauge, do we know about God or do we truly know him? Are we truly in a relationship with the creator of the universe, with our, with our savior, right? So he wrote, he wrote this, a very, very easy picture, what it looked like to believe and to know Jesus, and then what it looks like to believe and not know Jesus. Because again, there's a big difference between believing in God and knowing God. This is in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says this, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now, I want you to try something very quickly with me. I want you to do a little visual here. I want you to think about God, and I want you to think about loving God, and I want you to think about worshiping God, and then I want you to think about the person that just 
send you over the edge, right? That daily steps on the, your last nerve. It might be a coworker. It might be somebody in your house. Nobody point around at anybody in the living room right now. Um, but can you imagine trying to talk to God while you're screaming and yelling at somebody? Just, just visualize it. Visualize it. You worshiping God while you're turning around and screaming at somebody. Is there a disconnect? <laughs> Right? Of course, there's a huge disconnect. When we're angry and when we're yelling and when we're hating and when we're not forgiving, it's really hard to connect with God. We, it's almost like at a point where we disconnect with him because we don't, we don't have love and we don't have forgiveness. And, and God's spirit just has difficulty breaking through all that hardness. And so we struggle. And we struggle to follow Christ. The fact of the matter is, if we claim to know him, but do not do what he commands, John says, well, you're a liar. I mean, that, that, that's rough words. That's very, very harsh, but it's, well, it's straightforward and, it, and it's honest. Now, keep in mind the things that he wants us to do, you know, all the loving things, um, his commandments, these aren't things that rob us of our joy. If you look at them closely, they're actually things that we all want, right? We all want these things. We want these things for the people we love. Nicely summed up in, in Micah chapter 6, it says this because, again, the world says, well, I, I, I don't know what God wants. How am I, how am I going to get to know him if I don't know what he wants? We're not in that boat. You're not in that boat. We know exactly what God wants. This is in Micah chapter 6, verse 6, it says this, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil, shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now listen, Micah isn't using hyperbole or exaggeration here. In the ancient world, even today, people claim not to know what God wants, even though it's very, very clear in our Bibles we know exactly what he wants and in the ancient days, they would, you know, offer up their crops. They would offer up uh, increasingly valuable things. And if things didn't turn in their favor, it was in their opinion, well, we didn't offer enough. So eventually, they really, truly did offer their firstborns to the god Moloch. But we do. We do know what he wants. Micah 6, chapter 7, this is what he wants. He has shown you, O mortal, we're mortal, that's us, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Three things, very simply, three things. One, two, three. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. These are the things that he wants us to do. Again, these are his commandments. Again, we want these things for ourselves, and, and even on our best days, yeah, maybe after you've had your coffee, we, we want these things for ourselves. We want these things for the people we love. So what does believing and knowing God look and feel like? What does believing and knowing God look like? Well, it starts with spending time with him daily. A daily walks, uh, my wife and I, uh, we, we quickly recognized uh, in our two houses ago, um, that when we spent time together, when we took our daily walks, and actually sometimes when, when things were rough, we take two to three walks a day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, one before evening, um, 
And we quickly recognized when we, like during winter, like these crazy Washington winters, we pulled it off when we lived just, you know, in Santa Cruz, but it's very difficult here in Washington to take your daily walks. And we recognized during the winter that our relationship suffered a little bit because we weren't communicating, right? When I'm in the house and she's in the house, there's a thousand things going on. There's things that need to be done and we, we kind of pass each other in the hallway. But when we, when we take our walks, there's nothing else that's interrupting us. And we just have this amazing time together and we recognize this is so valuable for us in our relationship. And if we don't take our walks, our relationship suffers. And this is true with your walk with God. If you don't spend regular time with him, You'll begin to separate. You'll begin to not feel his presence anymore. Um, and, and that will be true. Um, be, again, if you're not committed to him, his spirit has a difficult time. It's not that he doesn't want to or that he says, well, you know, it's nothing like that. It's, it's the, your hard heart keeps him out. So when you start spending time with Jesus, several things are going to start to happen that will tell you that you have a relationship with the creator of the universe and the savior of the world. One of the things that will start to happen is you're going to have a growing desire to be with Jesus and to obey. I know that sounds crazy, but again, we think, oh, I got to obey. And, and all, the, all the things that he asks us to do, his, his commandments that he asks us to be obedient to, they all produce the things that we want. David writes this in Psalm 63. He says this in verse 1, you, God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Now, you're, you're sitting at home, you're on your comfortable couch, and you're thinking, yeah, it sounds pretty extreme, but my guess is there's not a person here in my voice who hasn't cried out exactly like this. You have been in situations, even in this coronavirus, when somebody close to you passes and, and you cry out. You, you just cry out. And I know this kind of pain hasn't bypassed, I don't think, anybody. Anybody on earth. I believe that there was a time when every single person hearing my voice right now cried out exactly like this. <sighs> Dry parts. I, I, God, I, I need you. I need you now. Kind of like George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life right before he, he jumps into the river. God, show me. Show me that I'm important. Show me that I have value, that I'm not just a, a pile of electrons and, and biology running around this earth. Tell me that I am inherently valuable to you. So whatever it is that's eating at you, here's what's going to happen. As you begin to spend time with God and as you begin to spend time in his word, you're going to think, wow, this is really weird because anywhere I read in the Bible, it seems that he's talking directly to me. I love it when I preach a message. I don't care what I'm preaching about. I can preach about the color of the pews and somebody will come up to me afterward and say, you, how did you know? How did you know that that's what I'm struggling with, the color of these pews? I love the color of the pews. That's not where we're going. Just an example. But you will find that because that's what the Holy Spirit does. No matter what you do in Scripture, he's just going to, like, wow, there he's talking about my issue again. Wow, in Psalm, talking about my issue. Song of Solomon, talking about my issue. This is crazy, crazy. But that's the way it works. You spend time with him, and he invests in you, right? He, he, he dwells in you. He fills you. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. A second phenomenon you'll notice as you begin to spend time with Christ is a growing desire to talk to yourself. 
At least that's what it's going to look like as you're driving down the street and you normally listen to your radio and you just feel this overwhelming stop. Just, just stop listening to music for a moment. I, I need you to focus on me and, and I turn it off. And I love music when I'm driving. It's a huge part of my driving uh, protocol. Put on the radio and make it loud, right? But occasionally it, it just happens and I just feel this, you know, turn off, turn it off. We need to talk. And I've learned to do it. Just, just, just turn it off, turn, turn quickly off. And I, and I begin to hear from him and I, and, I, and I begin to have this conversation and sometimes it goes all day long, right? And I think this is what Paul's talking about when he says pray unceasingly, right? You can continue to have a conversation without, without, without all of this. That, that's all good and fine, but, but I think God's word is saying that you can talk with him all day long. As long as you're awake, you can continue having a conversation with him. And again, the people driving by you in the car thinking, wow, look at that fool. He's talking to himself. No, you're having a conversation with the creator of the universe. It's amazing, amazing, simply amazing. As you begin to work with God, which will enable God to begin to work with you, uh, you will be transformed from the inside out. You'll begin to notice and exhibit the following characteristics. This is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. You'll begin to exhibit love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Who doesn't want these kind of things? And yet we're always searching for them, and we're always searching in the wrong places for these things. At the very end of this passage, it says, against such things there is no law. And what that passage is saying is that legalism will not get you love and peace and kindness and joy and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, right? Legalism says, well, if I go to church enough times, this will all come to me. Right? If I, if I do this, or if I'm on my knees when I pray instead of standing up, or if I, you know, if I give a lot of money, if I do a whole lot of outward signs, somehow, somehow, something's gonna change inside me. But that is legalism. Measuring your knowledge of God by how many times you prayed, how many times you attended worship services, how many times you helped the needy. These were, again, all outward signs that might not necessarily reflect what's going on inside could very well be a show. Now, I, 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 by doing these things, I, I think you will eventually find your way to Christ because you are attempting to do what you feel he's commanding you to do. And, and God's got a funny way of meeting us halfway. Even in our misunderstandings and our ignorance, if we're truly searching for him, he, he closes the gap. That's just what the power of the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit just, just closes that gap. So here's what I want to do with you. This is Jerry's top 10 list. What happens when the things of the Spirit begin to rub off on you? These are the results of a close and personal relationship with God, things that you've tried without Him, but you failed. And you tried and tried and tried, and you never succeeded. The first thing that's going to happen, number 10 on top 10 list, is you will finally find healing. It might be physical healing, but I guarantee you it will be relational healing. Number nine, you will be able to finally forgive the unforgivable. Even if it was something horrific that somebody did to you, a despicable act, you'll finally get past it. You'll finally be able to move forward. Um, and again, this isn't, a, this isn't a situation of allowing them to be in a position to hurt you again, but this is all about letting them go and letting Jesus handle them. Um, Finally being able to forgive the unforgivable. And number eight, number eight, 
You will finally change the unchangeable. More importantly, you'll be able to discern the things that God wants you to change and the things that simply aren't going to change and your attitude is going to need to change. But this is what's going to come with a a relationship with the creator of the universe. And number seven, you'll finally break the power of materialism. You'll finally become generous as you begin to see and feel what God sees and feels. And number six, Jesus will finally live, you will finally live for Jesus and eternity rather than for yourself and for the moment. It's a sweet little thing I call perspective, right? You're finally going to gain a perspective of how important this time is right now and and how important eternity is. Um, That will adjust everything. That will change your whole, that will transform everything. And number five, your heart will break for what breaks God's heart. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you will feel what God feels because he has literally put a part of him inside you. And now you're feeling what he's feeling. That's how it is when you have somebody super close to you. When my wife is feeling pain, um, I feel it. And I know for a fact that when I'm feeling pain, she feels it. It's almost, I don't know how, I don't know how it works, but, but, but we feel each other's pain because we have a close relationship. And number four, number four, you will serve his bride the church. I love watching this morning. I was, in fact, I'm, I was filming a little bit of it. I'm going to post it. Uh, all the behind-the-scenes work that goes on here in this church to provide an inspiring message, to provide an, an incredible uh, songs that, 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 that enable us to express things that we can't find the words for sometimes. Um, you'll finally be able to serve his bride, the church, instead of your own private interpretation your own private deity. And number three, you will experience grace and peace and trust rather than worry or fear. And as a result of that, number two, you will ache to share Jesus. When you run across people you love that are struggling with fear and trust and worry, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it and you're going to want to share the one solution to their problems and that's in Jesus Christ. And number one in Pastor Jerry's top ten list, you will never be the same. If you want to move past simply believing in God to knowing God personally, then I would suggest that you simply seek Him. This is, this is in Matthew chapter 7. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now, here's the context of this, this passage. This isn't any kind of key passage for any kind of prosperity gospel. I just want to make sure we're all clear on this. The context is that God knows the difference between your wants and your needs. And at the close of this particular passage, in fact, he says, what would be really amazing if you quit stop asking for all these other things and you started seeking my spirit because that is the gift above all other gifts. That will cover all your other wants and needs is me in a relationship with you. Verse 8 says this, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Again, what does seeking him look like? It looks like reading your Bibles, listening to Christ-centered messages, and then going home and comparing what the pastor said with your Bible, right? He wants to be found. And again, in the context of this passage, God is not like a miserly old neighbor that you got to pound on his door and pound on his door to get you to even notice you. God's not like that. He's a good, good father. Nor is he like a, a dad who gave his son a scope or a scorpion when his son asked for a fish to eat. 
God's not like that. He doesn't give us things that are going to hurt us. That's impossible. It's not in his nature. He doesn't do that. God knows what we really, really need, and it's him. He wants to be found. Let's close by reading Matthew chapter 6. Listen to this. This is one chapter before chapter 7, if you're good at math. So it says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, and what shall we wear? Again, this is not talking about being in need. This is not talking about poverty or destitution at all. This is speaking to those who believe that money and wealth and material gain will provide the significance and, and the, the connectedness and, and the, the love that we, we all crave as, as human beings. There is, a, there is a, a huge group of people who really believe that what we wear and the fine foods and the drinks, that will give us significance. If I'm driving around in a nice, sweet Porsche, everybody will love me and believe that I'm amazing. You know what? That's just not true. Right? I just got to get out of the car, and they're going to figure out, oh, it's Jerry. <laughs> Listen, this is speaking to those who believe that these are the things that are going to give them what they're searching for in life. This is a picture of a person seeking significance and acceptance and love in all the wrong places. This is how I know this. Hit that next verse, verse 32. It says this, for pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. He knows that you want to be loved. He knows you need forgiveness and mercy and grace and to feel significance and to feel value as a, a human being. He knows these things. All of humanity needs love and a sense of value. Your heavenly Father is well aware of this. Again, them in this passage being the things that we want on our best and most righteous days the things that God wants for us in all of our days, things like the fruit of the Spirit and love and acceptance and a belonging. And here's where it can all be found. This is verse 33. This is, this is, we're going to land the plane here. But you'll never know for sure until you've given Christ a chance. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all those things that you're searching for in life in all the wrong places, you're finally going to find them in Christ. Not just knowing about a deity that supposedly did this or that, but you're going to finally get to know your own personal Savior that also cared enough about the rest of the world to save them too. Let me pray. Father, if we don't know what we don't know, and Father, we, so many people... We struggle because we don't have a relationship. We, we know about you, and we're operating off secondhand news and rumors. And, and, Father, you tell us in your word that if we seek you, you will be found. You will be found. But we have to seek you. We have to stop looking in the wrong places. We have to understand, Father, that by your spirit we find life. We so often try to find life away from you. Like somehow you're going to rob us of life, but that's just not what millions, millions of Christians have discovered over the past 2,000 years. Is it true joy, lasting joy in the face of death and sorrow and suffering, a joy that surpasses all understanding can only be found in you, Father. So this morning we, we thank you for your son who, who emptied himself and gave his life for us so that we would be able to establish a relationship with that we could be at one with you, that we could be reconnected. And that can only happen through the blood of Jesus. 
Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank, thank you for constantly drawing us to yourself. We, we Nazarenes call this prevenient grace. You, you're always drawing us to yourself, Lord, and, but we've got to respond. You've given us free choice. We can say no to you. We can try to find all these other things in life in all these other places, but experience will always show us that those places are not where you're to be found. Father, thank you for the power of your spirit that draws us. Thank you for your son who died for us. Father, thank you just for loving us so much that you set about all of this. We love you, Father. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, empower us. We love you. And we want to know you better. So, Father, every person hearing my voice again as they open up your word and they begin to search for you, Let it not be I'm reading a book, but let it be I am looking into the heart of my heavenly father. I am looking into the ways that he delivered people. I'm looking into the ways that he bent over backwards. I'm looking into the ways that he was so patient, so patient that I know that he's going to be patient with me too. And he's going to be patient with you. Father, thank you. Your son's name I pray. Amen.